I'll encourage you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I don't know if I've been more excited about uh, beginning a series than I have been about this one right here. And uh, I say that, and I know my wife is tired of hearing me say that, because I've been telling her that in the weeks leading up to this morning, uh, but I truly mean it. I am just really excited to see all that God has in store for us in His Word, and to see specifically how He guides us through His Word in this series. Hopefully, on your way in this morning, you uh, picked up a a uh, worship guide, excuse me, an outline which will guide our time through God's Word this morning. And uh, that the answers to that will be on the screen behind me as we walk through God's Word uh, here in our creation narrative this morning. So we ended our Advent series last Sunday. And in that final sermon, we focused on the faith of Simeon and Anna. And in their example, we saw that the same measure of faith which they exhibited at the first advent of Jesus is the same measure of faith that we are to exhibit as we eagerly await his second advent. And so there we saw how Simeon and Anna were part of that faithful remnant which were still faithfully seeking to live according to God's word uh, that his that faith, and we saw that faith is a gift of God's grace. And it was there that I also pointed us to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 6, where we see the God of this age has blinded the minds of the disobedient to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. And one of the primary ways which the, the God of this age has blinded the minds of non-believers is to get them to disbelieve God's word as a whole. But especially, especially when it comes to our origins and our creation. As this particular passage that we are going to look at this morning, this book as a whole has been one as which has been attacked and, and, and mocked and looked down upon by the non-believing world. And you see, when we rightly understand This book right here, when we rightly understand Genesis, it frames and lays the foundation for everything else that we see throughout Scripture. Because when we rightly understand whose we are, that informs who we are. And then from that, we can rightly understand our purpose in this world. And that is why it is so incredibly important that we correctly understand the book of Genesis because it lays the foundations for our faith. And that is why I'm so excited for us to dive into this incredibly important book. Because as long as man has been, we've been fascinated with our origins. And the Bible itself is filled with references to and conclusions drawn from God's work in creation and how his created order informs everything else in our lives. And once, one such place is found in Job chapter 38, and that is where I found the namesake for this series. As I thought about the creation narrative and God's work in creation and, and beginning, the beginnings of our world, I couldn't help but be reminded of this interaction between Job and God in Job chapter 38. You see Job having experienced incredible loss. 
He eventually listens to the, the talking down of his friends and them condemning his faith and saying that it must be something that he has done that has caused all of this to be done to him. And so he listens to the advice of his friends and he decides to confront God. And after questioning God, the Lord answers Job from the whirlwind and says, who is this that obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you, and you will inform me. And then God says, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me, or, or literally established the earth there, laid it upon its foundations. Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? You see, there are some elements of this story as we look at God's word in Genesis, which we'll be able to observe under the microscope. And there's some that we'll have to view through the magnifying glass. As I've, I've chosen for us to approach this marvelous book in a 12-week series. So after much prayer and deliberation, I feel like this will give us the perfect balance of not having to speed through the text while also being able to zoom in on those crucial details of God's good design, his actions, and his plans. And so my goal for us today as we begin this series and in the weeks ahead is for us to see the glory of God in creation the sinfulness of man, and how understanding Genesis is foundation to our understanding of the whole of Scripture. So with that, I'll invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as you are able, as we read from Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating the water from the water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and tree-bearing fr fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons, for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. 
God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply in the earth. Evening came, and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. You may be seated this morning. I know that that was quite the length, the amount of text to read, more so than we normally do, but I just could not help but read it in its entirety for us to begin this series. So the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. Now, both the Old and the New Testaments, including Jesus himself, attribute the authorship of these five books to Moses. So sometime around the Exodus, Israel would have undoubtedly been asking Moses of their origins, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses would have undoubtedly wanted them to have a firm understanding of who they were, what their purpose was, and to better know the God who created them, who saved them and called them. And what was it that God had promised to Moses when he was sending him to Pharaoh to gather the Israelites? If you'll remember, Moses attempts to, to wriggle out of this responsibility by saying, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent. And the Lord replies to Moses in this moment by first telling him in Exodus 4.11, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. This was God's response to Moses. And of course, Moses would go on to plead with the Lord again. 
And the Lord would tell him that Aaron would go as Moses' mouthpiece. But notice again what, what it was that God promised Moses. God promised Moses his word. I will teach you what to say. And so he did. And God gave his word to Moses, not only to give his word to Moses in Egypt, and not only did he give his word to Moses in the Exodus, but he also gave his word to Moses to record for all future generations, including us. And thus we have the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And what is the first thing that Moses records, the first sentence that Moses writes, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The first sentence of the Bible lays the foundation for everything else. It is full of nuance and meaning. But the main thing I don't want us to miss is this, that God is the subject of the first line of Scripture. This sets the tone for every single line that comes after it. And we can't miss this. That when we read God's word, it is fixing our gaze to the glory, the voice of the one person, God. God is the main character of all scripture. And that's the first point on our outline this morning, that God is the main character of all scripture. Before we're introduced to anyone else, we're introduced to God. He is the focus. He is the subject of our praise. From eternity past to the very moment that we stand in here to, the, to eternity future, He is. And we would do well to memorize just the first verse in all of Scripture so that when trials come, when we question, when we doubt, when we don't know where to go, we can have this as our anchor. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. It wasn't natural evolution. It wasn't a tomb or Shu or Horus or Osiris or any of the other pantheon of Egyptian gods that created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. You see, Moses uses Elohim as the name of God here. You see, these are some of the little nuances that come with reading the Old Testament. Because when we read the Old Testament, if you see LORD in all caps, that is the covenant name of God when it's in all capitals. When it's in lowercase, it is Adonai. Or when we see God listed as the title, well, that is Elohim. See, Moses uses Elohim as the name of God here. Again, he's writing this at the time when he's been given the covenant name of God, Yahweh. So why not use Yahweh rather than Elohim? Because Moses is conveying that even before he was known as Yahweh, before he was known as their personal covenant Lord, he was there in the beginning. Elohim, sovereign, eternal, creator. And I'll reference us again to that first conversation between Moses and the Lord. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses asked God, what should I tell them if they ask for your name? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am, or Yahweh has sent me to you. 
And then we see as we read, Elohim also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the Elohim of your ancestors, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, the Elohim of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So in that moment, God wanted both Moses and the people to know that from the past, he has been Elohim and eternal sovereign creator. And now he is Yahweh, personal, eternal, sovereign creator. But Moses, in writing the Pentateuch, in writing the story of creation, wants the people to realize that before he was known as Yahweh, he was always there as Elohim, eternal, sovereign creator. So he is the one and only sovereign God who exists outside of time and space. He creates ex nihilo, which is Latin, that is out of nothing. Now, it's important to note the Hebrew word used here for create. So we noted the Hebrew word that Moses uses the title for God, which was Elohim. The word for create here is bara. Bara is used with two meanings in Scripture. One is to produce something out of existing matter, and then the other is that which we find here, to create out of nothing. In the beginning, God. He was there before there was anything. In the beginning, there was God, and then he created the heavens and the earth. So even still, this word is only used three times here in the creation story. When God creates the universe, when God creates animal life, and when God creates man, Elohim bara. Moses wants his audience to be assured that Elohim is far beyond the false gods of the Egyptians and the false gods of the land ahead. And he does not use the word yatsar. That's the Hebrew word that is to to frame or to shape or to form because that that involves already existing material. He makes it clear that in the beginning, when there was nothing but God, Elohim bara, the heavens and the earth. So may we read Genesis and indeed all of Scripture with our eyes solely fixed on the main character, the one and only pre-eternal God. And that's what we see in verse 2. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So like a lump of clay on a potter's wheel or a blank canvas in front of an artist, even in its emptiness, the earth has purpose. And that was to be formed and to be filled by its creator. In fact, the two Hebrew words used here are tohu vabohu, that is formless and void. Elsewhere, they're used to note anything empty or confused or vain, without worth. And so too are our lives without the order and the purpose which Christ provides. See, Calvin noted, were we now to take away, I say, from the earth all that God added after the time here alluded to, then we should have this rude, unpolished, or rather shapeless chaos. So here we see God's spirit hovering over the surface of the water, sustaining it. 
And so may we see that from the beginning of all creation, all creation has been sustained by God's grace and for God's glory. Why else would he sustain it other than the truth that God creates with purpose? That when God creates, he creates with purpose. One of the greatest lies the enemy is sowing among us today is that we have to find our purpose and what makes us happy. And that we, that we need to speak our truth and discover, discover who we are. And the reason this lie is so toxic and effective is that it speaks to our need, our desire for purpose. It speaks directly to that which became distorted in the fall. You see, in the fall, we shifted our chief purpose from worshiping the creator to worshiping the created, that is, ourself, from worshiping God to worshiping us. And the Israelites were hearing this while wondering, after having escaped years of slavery and turmoil by God's grace. Moses, under the direction and authority of the Holy Spirit, says, this is who rescued us. This is who created us. This is who purposed us for his glory. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. The same God who sent each plague, the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who led them through the desert, designed this very desert that we find ourselves in. In other words, is what Moses is communicating here. And he is sending us to a new land for the purpose of making this known. So after God creates, his, after God creates, his spirit hovers, sustaining that which he has created. And then God begins to form. As we move on, we see, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating the water from the water. So God made the expanse, separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and gathering uh, and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and fruit and trees and the earth bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. And the earth produced vegetation seed-bearing plants according to their kinds of trees, bearing fruit according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning the third day. So in looking at the days of creation, I realized that some have different approaches to how they interpret the six days of creation. So that's inevitably on our minds when we read this. While I, I do not think that this is an issue worth breaking fellowship over, I do think that it's incredibly important that we address it, considering all that I've already stated regarding authorship and context, I believe firmly that the most 
accurate and the best way to read the creation narrative is as six literal 24-hour days. This is the understanding which the people who are hearing this message have. And so any other method requires too much hermeneutical yoga to make sense. Now, back to the text. So at this part of the story, as Moses begins to unfold for us God's activity in creation, he does so using incredible poetry to convey the beauty, intentionality, and the purpose with which God creates. And this is not only to reflect the the, and this is not only reflected in the poetic style which Moses uses, but it's reflected in God's words him, of himself. As he creates and as he speaks, each word is the stroke of a brush on a canvas, giving form, filling the void, structuring the chaos, and creating purpose. And we find purpose in God's response to his creative work. Because as God creates and as God shapes and forms, He calls it good. See, when God creates something, he calls it good. Why? Because everything that he creates is a reflection of his goodness and glory. And we call this natural revelation, meaning that as we look to creation, as we look at the created order, we can see the attributes of God and even understand that there is a God because his glory is on full display for us in creation. See, the foundation for God's creative purpose is his glory. David tells us in Psalm 19, in commenting on God's work of creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So as we look to creation, we behold the goodness and the glory of our creator. So let's look at how Moses uses this poetry form to reveal God's intentionality and purpose and glory. See, Moses Moses uses the Hebrew Hebrew poetry form called a chiasm. It's the structure. It's simply kind of as you lay out each uh, successive line, it forms part of an X. As the first three days of creation correspond with the following three days. And we, I, I provided a little outline for that here. So in the first three days, God is adding form and structure to that which he has created. And on the second set of three days, God is filling that which he has created. On day one, which is verses three through five, God forms his creation by creating light itself. And on the corresponding day four, which we see in verses 14 through 19, he provides function and he fills that which he has created by creating the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then day two, which we see in verses six through eight as we read, 
God adds structure by separating sky and ocean. And then on the corresponding day five, which we see in verses 20 through 23, he fills them with fish and sea creatures and birds. And then again, as we move along to day three, verses nine through 13, God adds structure by giving the sea borders and creating land and plants. And then on the corresponding day six, which is verses 24 through 28, he fills the land with animals and man and plants for food. So all of this shouts of God's goodness, his glory and his purpose in the created order. See, Moses didn't want anyone hearing or reading this to miss the glory of God in creation. He wants them to see the perfect form and function as God purposefully creates and then fills and purposes all of it for his glory. See, the earth is a very special part of God's plan. And we can look at all other known planets and marvel. However, when we look at them, we see that they are uninhabitable, empty. Why? Because they weren't designed to be inhabited. God spends six days intentionally creating the earth, three days forming and giving function, three days filling. All other planets are made in one day and then left to reflect God's glory. See, very soon... NASA will be launching a new telescope that is said to make the Hubble telescope look like a kid's toy. This is a a picture of that new telescope right here. And this telescope will help us to see farther and clearer into space than we ever have before. And you know what they're going to find when they look through that telescope? More of God's glory. See, the heavens were made by the word of the Lord what we read in Psalm 33. All the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. This is creation. This is What God has purposed is that all creation reflects his glory. Which brings us to verse 26. I know we kind of move through the rest of creation there quickly in that little diagram. but, But verse 26 is where things get really special. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So within this chiastic structure of this incredible Hebrew poetry which Moses lays out to reflect God's glory and purpose and intentionality in creation, here at the end, he reflects how man is the pinnacle of this creation 
Because man gets its own poetry chiastic structure within the chiastic structure. So the exclamation point on this incredible work of art, the final brushstroke, is the only creation that is designated as being created in God's image. Everything else, he speaks into being and it happens. He forms, he shapes, he molds, and it takes place. And he comes to man. And this is our foundation for purpose. This is our foundation for being. We magnify, we glorify, we make known the name of our creator. So some have wondered what God speaking in the plural could mean here. Some have wondered if it was a reference to the angels. But that doesn't work because the angels are not in God's image. Some have wondered if it's in reference to God's power or a reference to God's royalty. Some royalties of the time would use plural to, to reference how great they were. But the most clear and obvious way to read this is as God's referencing his triune nature. We've already been introduced to two members of the Trinity. Elohim, as God in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the water. So we've been introduced to two members of the Trinity there. And John 1 makes clear for us who else was present in this moment. As in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. It's from John 1. Or Colossians 1.16. We see that all things have been created by him and for him. Well, if they were created by him, then he was there. So just as Moses battled the Egyptian magicians with God's power, just as he and the Israelites escaped Pharaoh with God's power, now Moses battles Egyptian mythology with God's word. See, it wasn't a tomb or Shu or Osiris or Horus or any other of the Egyptian gods that created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And then, after creating the heavens and the earth and seeing that it was good, formed and filled with good things, he created in a new and unique way. He created man in his own image as the pinnacle of his creation for the purpose of multiplying his image and spreading his glory and enjoying his good creation all to the praise of his glory. See, we are created in the image of God for the glory of God. Now, our first point is still true. God is the main character of all Scripture. So when we're reading the stories of Scripture, which include characters, we need to read them through that lens, through the lens of what God is doing in and through and to that character with the main focus still being on God. So because God is creator, because God is the main character, then that which is created is subservient to him. So we are made in the image, in his image, according to his likeness, 
And our second point is still true. God creates with purpose. Now, we have the only creation with which God can communicate. And so God explicitly states what our purpose is. As we continue reading, verse 29, God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. So God provides for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and every creature that crawls in the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So God said that the purpose of us of being created in his image is to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it to the praise of his glory, and then that he has provided everything necessary for us to fulfill that purpose. So we get to the end of the sixth day, and God observes all that he had created, formed, and filled, and he saw that it was very good indeed. Again, because it was all shouting his glory, just as he created and purposed for it to do. And now, I've seen many commentators say that, that as far as the layout of the chapters and the verses, it would make much more sense for verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 to, to make the completion as it does. It's, it's very much intended. So this is one of those instances where if we just read according to the chapter and verse structure, we miss some of the significance here. Because verse, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 are the... Are, lockstep in part of the days of creation. You cannot separate them. It's part of it here. And so the seventh day is important. And that's what we see here. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Now, we know that God does not weary, and he does not slumber, and he does not sleep. So what does the idea of rest mean here? This, see, this simply signifies the completion of his creative work. This word rest means to stop doing or to cease from. So he's not taking a breather here, not like he's exasperated or his, his power level is low from creating his work was complete. In fact, though his creative work was complete, his sustaining work was still ongoing. We have been and always will remain sustained by God's grace alone. And so though he was finished creating, he was still sustaining because it's only by his grace that this world spins on its axis and revolves around the sun. See, this completion points us to where God is working to make all things new. His desire is to dwell with us once again. As Genesis lays the foundation for God's redemptive purpose. See, the God who creates something out of nothing, who creates with intentionality and purpose, who created us, has given us his word that we may know him, that we may know our purpose. So as the Israelites lay there and wonder what lies ahead, 
and wonder, who is this Yahweh? God gives his word to Moses so that they may know this is Elohim who was before and who always will be. And this is what he created and why he created us. And this is, what, this is the work that he is doing, is setting us apart as Israel so that we can be back in this right and good state with him. See, the God who creates something out of nothing is at work in all things at all times to the praise of his glory. This is the gospel, and this is our hope. These are our foundations. So if you want purpose, if you want meaning, if you want understanding, this is where it's found, in our creator. And if you don't have that, then now is the time to respond to the creator who is drawing you to himself so that you can once again be in the state of being declared good. And it is only by the blood of Christ that we can be declared as so. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word, for how it speaks into our lives, about our lives, and informs our lives as to your very purpose in creation. The very reason for which you have created us to declare your glory and to join in with all the rest of creation in declaring your glory. God, the only way we can do that is through the blood of the one who is there and who has created all things and whom by all things were created. That is Jesus. So I pray, God, that if there's anyone here who does not know you, as Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. Make that evident and clear to them through the work of your spirit. That they would submit to the work of Christ on the cross in repentance. Lord, for those of us here this morning who know you, help us to find this as our solid foundation for everything else. That in the beginning, you were there. And you created with purpose and intentionality for us to reflect your glory. So help us to do so better by your grace and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.